the last uh, seven weeks, we've been on a, a journey as a church through the Beatitudes, uh, Jesus' first words. In his most famous message, the Sermon on the Mount, it comes out of Matthew chapter 5. And we've heard a story from Jesus. We've heard a blessings from Jesus that he pronounces on some people that are very different from the kinds of people we hear pronounced blessings on in our world. And the premise of the series has been this, that we live in a crazy world. It's a world that's completely opposed to the message of Jesus. It's a world that pronounces blessings in places that Jesus doesn't. And the Beatitudes are Jesus' way of beginning his ministry, trying to set the world right side up. Trying to set the world on a different path, a, a different trajectory. And so he's speaking into the world that looks a lot of, like crazy like our world. And he's trying to speak again a truth that is the truth of Jesus' kingdom. And in God's future, these are the kinds of people that he calls blessed. I want to read again from Matthew 5, beginning in verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And finally, let's read from the last and possibly most difficult to believe this morning. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are the persecuted. In what world is that the truth? Blessed are the persecuted. We'll get to that in just a moment. Let's begin with prayer. This morning. Father, this morning we believe what we sung just a moment ago. That you give and take away, but our hearts continue to cry out, blessed be your name, God. We want to be counted among the blessed that you bless in Matthew 5. And we've heard through this series words of comfort, words for those who are in the midst of mourning that you will bring comfort. We've We've heard words about those who are peacemakers, that they're called children of God. Over and over again, we've been washed over with your words of, of blessing. And some of us have found those words comforting, and others of us have been challenged to step more and more into a life of blessing along the lines of your kingdom. This morning, God, I pray that you would pour through me the gift of preaching, so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Blessed are the persecuted. All week long I've been trying to figure out how do you preach a message like this to a, a group of American Christians who are worshiping in the midst of air conditioning, in the midst of really no fear that someone would walk into our doors and imprison us for our belief in Jesus. I'm wondering this morning, do you, do you feel persecuted as a Christian in North America? LifeWay Research conducted a survey of American Christians, and 63% of these American Christians said that American Christians are facing growing levels 
of persecution. 63%, not a small percentage of us. And I think this is a common belief among us that somehow persecution is on the rise, that we're being mistreated in some way. But that belief begs another question. Persecuted in relation to what? And that's an important question that really demands us to look back and have some perspective in terms of history, Christian history. The church was born in the 30s AD in Palestine. It was an area that was under Roman rule. It was an area in which persecution for the first few hundred years happened sporadically in some sense, strongly in other areas and times. But during those first 300 years, the church grew in the midst of times of persecution. Blessed are the persecuted, it certainly seemed so. For 300 years, in many places, the church worshipped in secret. For 300 years, in many places, church buildings were not a thing that they could actually construct. For 300 years, in many places, there were persecutions. For 300 years, in many places, there were funerals celebrating the life of saints who had given their lives, committing that Jesus was Lord in an empire that believed that Caesar was Lord. But all of that changed around 313 A.D. with an emperor named Constantine. Constantine had some kind of conversion, perhaps. We still don't yet know. Some think it may have happened on his bedside. Some think that it was a, a vision that he saw that led him to maybe an actual change of belief and heart. But the Edict of Milan was put into place in 313 A.D. that legalized Christianity, ensured that this would not be a persecuted religion anymore. And for 1,700 years since that time, for the most part, Christians in the West have experienced a time of relative non-persecution. We've experienced the privilege of worshiping without fear. But in recent years, that privilege has been waning, hasn't it? The church, which is at the center, has been at the center of cultural, architecturally, right? The church was actually the center of the city in many places. Politically, it was the center in some ways, especially as the popes became the leaders of areas in certain time periods, Holy Roman emperors. Uh, but again, we find ourselves that get a bit more on the margins here in 2016, don't we? Not so much the center of cultural life architecturally. No, skyscrapers have dwarfed our churches in the center of our cities. Politically, it seems to have changed as well. In many ways, we find ourselves more on the margins, not like China perhaps, but we sense a growing sense of that. And, and, and as I consider this shift, I want to share a quote recently that challenged me to rethink this phrase of Jesus, blessed are the persecuted. I couldn't find the source of this quote, but the quote is, when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like persecution. In other words, the Christian church wasn't born into a privileged position. But for the past 1,700 years, we've been in a position of privilege. And as a result of that privileged position, we experience the losses of power. We often mistake those changes as persecution. Now, there may be a day where persecution is on the rise. There's a growing sense among us that may be the reality in America at some point. But let's be careful not to call the current situation persecution. In some sense, these last 1,700 years have made Christians a bit soft, I would say. Imagine with me the Apostle Paul coming to the United States, seeing the Lifeway Research poll and walking with us through our cities and, and hearing the cry of persecution in America. 
just wondering what his response would be to that. I think he would find that a bit ridiculous. He would say, you know, persecution isn't exactly hearing happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas when you shop this year. Persecution isn't someone disagreeing with you on Facebook. Paul knew persecution. He had the marks on his body to prove what persecution was. He'd he'd been put in prison. He has a list in Scripture of the things that happened to him. In fact, he was put to death at the hands of an emperor named Nero. But once again, when you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels a bit more like persecution. Now, persecution is a reality in our world today. In fact, there are more martyrs who are being killed for their faith today than in many times in past history. In China today, 90% of Christians are worshiping today in secret house churches. Open preaching in Sudan is punishable right now by beatings, imprisonment. In fact, there are stories of crucifixions, modern-day crucifixions in the country of Sudan. Is persecution a reality in our world? Absolutely. Many of us have heard and seen even some of the brutal murders that have happened as a result of ISIS's move throughout the world. Yes, persecution is a reality, and Jesus' words are still the same today over those who face it blessed are those who are persecuted. These are examples of brave Christians in the midst of persecution in our world, which begs another question. If these persecutions continue to grow and they come to our shores in America, what will our response be? What would your response be in the face of persecution and threat to your faith? And I wonder how many practicing Christians would there really be in America should persecution come? Our, certainly, our numbers certainly would go down, which begs the question, are we really Christian if we throw it away in a moment should persecution come? What would you do? In 249 AD, there was an emperor that stepped onto the throne of the Roman Empire, an, em- an emperor named Decius. And Decius realized that Rome's power and control was on the wane. It wasn't as strong as it once was. And Decius knew something that brings countries together in these moments to become great again. He knew what would be needed is to call those who were Christians to take up other gods' religions. Because if you can unite a country around their religion, then the influence and power and unity is so much stronger. And Decius didn't think that the Christian God would be the way to do that. He believed that it was the Roman gods who, if we could unite as a nation, then maybe Rome could be made great again. And Decius knew what American presidents would learn years later. If you abandon the gods, then you're in trouble. But if all subjects of the empire would worship the gods again, perhaps the gods would once again be appeased and they would uh, enjoy unity in their country once again. Our candidates aren't the first to try to use the religious for their own ends. But Decius knew something that other Roman emperors had forgotten. He knew that martyrs, those who died for their faith, actually just increased the influence of Christianity. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And so he knew uh, to kill people in these instances wouldn't be a good thing because the influence of Christianity would grow. And so Decius decided we're not going to kill people in this persecution as much as we can uh, do it, but as much pressure as we can possibly put on, maybe we can get Christians to recant their faith and follow the gods once again. So instead of killing Christians, Decius decided to put whatever pressure he could on. And so there was threat of persecution, there was threat of torture, there was threat of all kinds of things. And so Decius issued a decree in the Roman Empire that everyone in the Roman Empire had to offer sacrifice to the gods and to burn incense before a statue of Decius 
And those who complied were handed a certificate that showed that their allegiance was where it should be in the Roman Empire. But those who didn't have a certificate were subject to beatings, subject to torture, subject to persecution. Try to force them to abandon their faith. And as you can imagine, this created quite a problem in the early church because Christians responded in several different ways. Some, right off the bat, decided, I am going to pledge my allegiance to the Roman gods because I don't want threat to my body, I don't want threat to my children. So they went directly and they offered sacrifice and they got their certificate. Others decided, well, I'm not going to hurry out to do it. Maybe I'll just kind of be able to lay low under the radar. And so they just kind of waited until the persecution rose and finally they kind of gave in and went and got their certificate. Some with crossed fingers, I'm sure, behind their backs, hoping that God would forgive them afterward. Others uh, actually went out and found forged certificates. <laughs> There's always one in a group that can make a buck off this kind of thing, right? And so they, they found a forged certificate and they could, could display that to show, eh, we're, I'm safe, I'm one of the ones who offered sacrifice. But there was another group, uh, another group that became known as the Confessors, who refused to bow their knee to the pagan gods, who refused to, to offer their sacrifice to the statue of Decius and They went without their certificates, and they also went without limbs. They went with scars on their bodies because of their commitment to Jesus as Lord, and they wouldn't give that up in the midst of the most difficult circumstance. Now, the persecution was brief. Two years later, in 251, a a new emperor came on. But for these two years, imagine being part of this church, a church where some in your body decided to go get certificates, a, a, a place where some bore the scars of actually not bowing their knee to the emperor. Some who'd crossed their fingers and they still kind of found their way into the church, it seems. Imagine what would happen in 251 when that is no longer happening and now everyone wants back into the church. What do you do when you've lost family members? You've lost limbs and those who went immediately want their way back into the church. Are those actually Christians? Maybe this is what snuffed them out. It was a huge question for the early church. What do you do with the lapsed Christians? What do you do to those who who went when it was easy to do it and didn't keep their faith in Jesus. Today, when we face the first hint of persecution, what do we do? We get our legal counsels in place. We complain. We worry. We fear for our grandkids. But Paul and the early Christians believed in a different story than that. They believed in a story where the words of Jesus were actually the true words. Instead, they did something entirely different because they trusted the words of Jesus. Hear this again from Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, they wore persecution as a badge of honor. Now, I think it's important to point out a couple things in Matthew 5 before we misunderstand the people that Jesus is blessing. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are is anyone who's persecuted. If you're a jerk and you receive a bad response in return, that doesn't give you the blessing of Jesus. The blessing of Jesus comes to those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. On account of Jesus, in the words of Jesus. It's not a blessing if you go and you street preach and people have to, happen to ignore you while you're doing it. It's not the kind of blessing that Jesus is pronouncing. But second, Jesus doesn't tell us to complain and whine when we receive persecution. 
Jesus doesn't tell us to get our legal counsel and ensure that our rights are not infringed upon. Jesus tells us, rejoice and be glad. Jump for joy is literally the language here when we face persecution. In, in some way, persecution is proof that we're on the right track. Paul trusted the words of Jesus. Listen to what Paul writes later on in 2 Timothy chapter 3 about persecution. He, he, he'd heard the words of the Sermon on the Mount. They'd reminded him of what Jesus had said. Listen to what, what Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3 verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let me read that again. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This was a man who had experienced it, and his response is, don't be surprised. Rejoice. You've heard the story of what happened to me, and it's, it's because of my faithfulness that this happened. Peter had heard Jesus' words at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Rejoice, jump for joy, and, and listen to what Peter says. This is 1 Peter chapter 4 in a letter that he writes, beginning in verse 12. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. The Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. It's almost a word-for-word -word repeating of what Jesus had said before. If you're persecuted, you're blessed. And I don't know about you, but that is really hard to trust for me. It's really hard to believe that. It's really hard to welcome the persecution and insults of the people who are around me. But these men believed that what Jesus said was actually true. They believed that the persecuted were blessed. And my question this morning is, do we? In the early uh, centuries, persecution was actually proof of a Christian's commitment to Jesus. And in the 21st century, a few Supreme Court decisions make us wonder if God has abandoned us. But persecution is proof not that God has abandoned us, it's proof that we're the blessed of God. Do we trust Jesus' words? Do we trust that the persecuted are blessed? Do we want the blessing of God or do we want to return to power so that we can assure that our grandchildren never have to face the things, that the very things that Jesus says, you're blessed if. Now, that's a hard word. Because I've got kids, I don't have grandkids yet, but I, I wonder about the world that Maddox is going to grow up in. Things have changed in our world from the first few centuries because in the first few centuries, they knew persecution. They expected it to come. But post-Constantinian Christianity looks almost nothing like the example of the early church. Because what happened in the early church is a persecuted church takes on power. And what happens when the church takes on power? The persecuted turn into the persecutor. Those who had died at the hands of the sword who thought the blessed were those who were persecuted, end up somehow giving their blessing to people who were pagans. They say, if, if you don't come and be baptized, then we'll kill you with the sword. How can those who follow Jesus fall into this way of thinking? Somehow a group of people who came together to worship a crucified Savior began to use the tactics of former emperors that had been used on them to try to pressure others into a way of life that's not blessed as Jesus calls it. 
we follow a Jesus who pronounced blessing on the persecuted. My greatest fear is not that I will be persecuted. My greatest fear is that I'll misunderstand following Jesus to the point that I will become a persecutor in order to ensure that my kids and grandkids are never blessed in the way Jesus said. My greatest fear for my grandkids isn't that they would live in a country where they face persecution. My greatest fear is they would misunderstand the gospel so greatly that they would use any means necessary to avoid the very thing that in the Beatitudes Jesus says is the blessed life. I want my kids to jump for joy when they experience persecution. And why do I want that? Because persecution is proof that we are a credible threat to the kingdoms of this world. Which brings me to a parable that I want to close with this morning. I remember seeing a sticker that said, if Christianity was illegal, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That evening... I had a dream that it was true and that I was summoned before a judge. The prosecution had quite a case against me. They begin by offering the judge dozens of photographs which show me attending church meetings, speaking at religious events and participating in various prayer and worship services. Next, they offer up as evidence some of the religious books that I've been reading, followed by some of my religious CDs and trinkets. After this, they step up the pace and reveal to the court many of the poems, pieces of prose, and journal entries that I've written about faith. Then in closing, the prosecution twists the bloody knife that they have skillfully used by offering my Bible to the judge. This is a well-worn book with scribbles, notes, drawings, and underlining throughout evidence, if it were needed, that I have read and reread this sacred book. Throughout the court case, I've been sitting in fear and trembling, saturated by sweat, I know deep in my heart that with the evidence against me, imprisonment or even death is a strong possibility. At various times through the proceedings, I've been on the verge of standing up and denying Christ. But while this idea haunts my mind, I resist the temptation and remain focused. Once the the prosecution has finished presenting their case, the judge proceeds to ask if I have anything to add. But I remain silent and resolute, terrified that if I open my mouth, I might be weak enough to deny the charges made against me. I'm then led away while the judge ponders my case. After about an hour, I'm summoned back to the courtroom in order to hear the verdict and receive word of my punishment. The judge enters the room, stands before me, looks deep into my eyes and states, of the charges that have been brought forward, I find the accused not guilty. Not guilty, my heart freezes. Then in a split second, my fear and terror are transformed into confusion and rage. Despite myself, I stand before the judge and demand that he tell me why I'm innocent of the charges in light of all the evidence. What evidence, he replies in shock. I started by pointing out the various poems and journal entries I've written, but he simply replies that they only show that I have a way with words. I then refer to the services I've spoken at, the worship meetings I've participated in, and the conferences I've attended. But again, he simply smiles and tells me that it's only evidence that I'm a public speaker and a bit of an actor who pretends to be what he is not, nothing more. And then he says that such foolishness would never be enough to convict me. The dream ends as he looks me in the eye and says, as if informing me of a great long-forgotten secret, the court is indifferent to your Bible reading and church attendance. It has no concern for worship with words and pen. 
Continue to develop your theology and use it to paint pictures of love. We have no interest in church-going artists who spend their time creating images of a better world. We exist for those who would lay down that brush in their life in a Christ-like endeavor to create such a world. I'm wondering this morning, is there enough evidence out there to convict you? Because what matters is not the vote that you cast in a couple of days. It matters for other reasons, but it doesn't matter for this purpose. It's not enough to convict you. What convicts you is a life of sacrifice. What, what convicts you is a life that's laid down on behalf of others. And in the end, if we trust Jesus' words, if persecution comes, congratulations. Because what it means is that you're worthy of the persecution that comes. In Revelation, the story is told over and over again of the saints in glory who surround the throne. Those with white robes are the martyrs who proclaim, holy is the Lord. My prayer for this generation, my prayer for this next generation is, God, we're grateful for what you've done. We're grateful for the freedom we have to gather. Gratitude is the right response. But this is not the kingdom of God demanding that. No, the kingdom of God is blessed are those who are found out to be worthy of persecution. Blessed are those who suffer at the hands on account of Jesus. This is the upside-down, right-side-up kingdom of Jesus, and it sounds so backwards in our world. But this morning, if you find yourself in a place of persecution, congratulations. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. Let's close our time with prayer. God, I thank you this morning for the words that Jesus has spoken over us today. They are so backwards to the way we think. God, sometimes I wonder if I believe these words. All through this series, God, I'm much more interested in those who are wealthy in spirit, not those who are poor in spirit. I seem to find those who have tears in their eyes are the ones that somehow you, you've stepped away from or abandoned, God. But the truth is you're there to comfort them. God, those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, well, it just means they haven't become righteous yet. That's the way I judge it so often. But you say, no, 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 those who are hungry and thirsty are the very ones very ones that I call blessed. For those that make peace, who walk into conflict, you, you say they're blessed. And this morning, God, this hard word, this challenge from Jesus that is so hard to understand in our world, would you, would you remind us again of the truth of this? Would you convict us and convince us again? And may our lives be lived in such a way that we would be convicted. Not just with the Bibles that are well-worn, but with our lives that are laid down on behalf of others. This morning, God, we pray for those across the world who find themselves in persecution. God, we pray, pray for uh, a, an ease of that persecution. We pray that, that you would protect those right now who are worshiping in secret places, God, that you would, you would even convict those who are terrorizing them, uh, have Jesus appear to them as we're hearing all across the Middle Eastern world you're doing among Muslims, where Jesus is appearing in ways that we don't have words for, and they're being converted to your name. We give thanks. God, we pray this morning that we can be the kind of people who are blessed in this way. And that's an odd prayer to pray because too often we thank you that we don't face persecution. But God, would you allow us to be people who are worthy, people whose evidence convicts us. We commit ourselves again to you and your way and to your blessing. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Be standing now as we close our time together.
Congratulations to those of you who are worthy of persecution. Because with that persecution comes the thing we desire most, the kingdom of heaven. May we love God, may we love people, and may we serve others. Go in peace today.